Coming to you from the breakfast taco capital of the world, it's the most unique hour of sports talk streaming worldwide. Worldwide. And beyond. And beyond. Live from the Alamo City, it's the Two Shots Podcast, hosted by Joe Garcia. Welcome to another episode of the Two Shots Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Garcia, and today I'm going to be joined by a special guest here. We're going to be joined by the one and only Noah Magarro George of Pounding the Rock. Noah, thank you so much for joining us, and it's always a pleasure to have you on as a guest. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And again, right back at you, it's always a blast talking Spurs basketball with you. Yeah, always good. And we have a lot to talk about, actually, because lo and behold, you know, the Spurs always being quiet at the trade deadlines and uh, every (laughs) fan, you know, expecting not much to, you know, happen. All of a sudden, the Spurs pull the rug out from under us and they were really busy at the trade deadline. First of all, we got word that the Spurs went ahead and traded the the newly acquired Juancho Hernan Gomez in a three-way deal, <laughs> you know, so that kind of threw everybody, okay, well, you know, okay, they're going to trade Juancho. Not now. Okay. That that's at least something, you know? So they, the Utah jazz, they acquired a uh, guard port, port. What's his name? Portland's Nikhil Alexander Walker and the Spurs. Yep. Uh, they got Juancho Hernan Gomez in a three-way deal. Um, and the Spurs get guard Tomas. I can't even say his last name. Tomas Sadoransky. Sadoransky, okay. And a mm-hmm. second round pick. Okay, so we're getting picks now. I'm like, okay, this is not a bad deal at all. And the Blazers got Joe Ingles and Elijah Hughes and all, along with the second round pick. So not much fanfare, kind of straightforward. We're getting a pick. Okay, I can live with that. <laughs> then the one that really took everyone by surprise, I think, was the San Antonio Spurs deciding to trade one Derek White, you know, to the Boston Celtics. This one hurt. I'm not going to lie. This one yeah. did hurt, and it took everyone by surprise. I mean, a lot of fans had said a lot of things about Derek White and saying, oh, he doesn't, you know, doesn't look quite himself. You know, it didn't really put up the numbers that he was putting up last season. I get all that. Maybe he just was never comfortable at being being at that, you know, shooting guard, or being that second guard, you know. DeJounte was primarily the the starting point guard and it just seemed like the Derek never really quite meshed well at that position but to you know everyone's surprise you know they just outright traded Derek I think that kind of signaled something was amiss here <laughs> you know that was going you know something was going on in the back as far as the Spurs being really busy and trying to make some some deals happen this one when you heard it, how did it affect you? Were you just like, wow, what's going on? Yeah, my first instinct was that I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I, and I said this on my podcast. I've talked about it a bunch. But, you know, my, my family, my mother went to CU Boulder. She graduated from there. We're Buffs fans. We love our CU Buffs, you know, the, the Buffs that make it in the NBA, whether that's you know, Chauncey Billups or Spencer Dinwiddie or Andre Roberson or Tyler Bay. And, of course, Derek White. You know, he got drafted by the Spurs twenty. Uh, I want to say 17, right? 2017, the year right after they took DeJounte Murray. And yeah. I was excited to see what he could do. I didn't think he was going to be anything more than a role player. And he turned himself into a really solid player. And it was just hard to see him go. You know, he had been here for a very long time. I know that 2017 probably is the blink of an eye, but that's five years. You and know, he was a 29th organization. Yeah, he was a 29th Exactly, pick. Yeah. yeah. 
So after four seasons, you know, with the San Antonio Spurs, in, in those four seasons, I mean, he he didn't have horrible numbers, though, Noah. I mean, he was averaging 14.4 points uh, per game, 5.6 assists, you know. So he wasn't putting up horrible numbers where he was going out there and just not contributing whatsoever. And, of course, we all were, you know, really impressed with his defensive prowess, being able to draw charges out there, putting never to, never afraid to put his body out there and take and draw that charge and he did have some moments here with the San Antonio Spurs. Everybody remembers the dunk that he had when the Spurs were playing uh, the Denver <laughs> Nuggets in you know the playoffs, the iconic dunk. Um, you know, and he had some other games where he came on and he sh he shelled out. But the the problem was is that it was just not very consistent this season. And I think it, it signaled that the Spurs were going to be going in a different direction. And maybe you know Derek just didn't fit in the timeline. You know, being already that he's what twenty seven years of age. And it seems like the Spurs are going a bit younger, uh, full-on youth movement at this point. So I see why they wanted to go ahead and make the the move that they did to try to help the team get better. And then we saw the, you know, advent of one Devin Vassell really coming into his own, um, putting up some great numbers and looking great since the beginning of the season. I think that kind of signaled the direction that the Spurs were going to go. And them putting Devin Vassell into the lineup has looked like a, a smart move, and we're going to get into that too. But before we go ahead and do that, I wanted to get your your gauge on this. I mean, do you think at this juncture that that move of of going ahead and trading Derek and now the Spurs are really putting their stock in, in Devin is going to be the move that kind of changes the Spurs' trajectory this season and kind of saves the season? No, I would say no. I mean, I know people are really excited that since they traded Derek, they beat the, the Atlanta Hawks, they beat the New Orleans Pelicans, but I think you have to take a step back and put everything into perspective. It's really nice that they won those two games. Absolutely. You had a blowout against the Pelicans, basically. I know it was a 10-point game, but it was basically a blowout. They only came within 10 points because of what happened at the very end once everything was decided. You know, they really manhandled the Hawks, absolutely destroyed them, but they're both really bad defenses. You know, they're both top 10, the bottom 10 defenses, the Hawks, a bottom five defense, the Pelicans, literally the 28th worst or worst defense in the NBA. So like, I, I'm not going to say, yeah, well, I mean, putting Devin Vassell in the, in the, in the starting lineup changed the trajectory of the team. It didn't because when you lose a player as good as Derek White is, you get worse. It's just a fact. You get worse. He was arguably the third, maybe second best player on this team. A lot of what he does goes unnoticed, so, similar to what we've talked about with Yaka Pirtle. But yeah, I think trajectory-wise, not this season, but you look a few years down the line, and yeah, it was the right move. You know, Derek White didn't make a lot of sense next to DeJounte Murray, didn't shoot the three ball all that well this season. He's a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands, and even though he's going to Boston, a place where he won't have the ball in his hands, I think it works because you have guys who are shooters. You have guys like Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, and you also have Jalen Brown. You also have the Al Horfords, you know, Robert Williams, who's a lob target. You have a lot of weapons for him, so he doesn't have that much responsibility, and he can kind of play within himself. And in San Antonio, much like they do with pretty much everybody on this roster, he was just asked to do too much. So, no, I don't think inserting Devin Vassell in the, in the starting lineup makes this team better. It definitely doesn't make them better. They've looked better because they've played really bad teams. They would have looked good if, De if Derek White was here. You better but be careful. Unfortunately, you're going gonna, you're gonna to aggravate the fan base because according oh, to sure. them, <laughs> according to them, you know, that this is the move, you know, this is the play that the Spurs needed to have made a while back. But as you stated, they've looked good against two very bad teams. Let's be honest, you know. So if they start performing like this against better teams, okay, you know. 
maybe they're playing a little bit better, but the problem is, is that they haven't been very consistent. So I see exactly what you're saying. Does this actually save the season? I'm going to agree with you. I don't think it does, but I think it's the move to make for the future. Just like you said. Absolutely. Noah. Yeah. And another thing too, that we're going to talk about real quick here is the other trade that took place, believe it or not, we had boom, boom. We had three trades taking place in the same week before the deadline, you know, we're at the Terry deadline. We had these, these other moves happening. Um, and the Spurs went ahead and traded uh, with the, the Raptors and the Raptors traded um, the dragon, should we say uh, Dragic, Gorgon <laughs> Dragic and a protected 2022 first or 2022 first round picks to the Spurs for Thad Young, Andrew Eubanks, and a 20, 22nd, 2022 uh, second round pick uh, via the Pistons. So all in all, we were collecting more picks again, you know? So it's it's not a bad deal. And I believe there was a, a first round pick that was also uh, given to the San Antonio Spurs as well. Uh, I believe it was a protected pick one through 14. Is that correct, Noah? Yeah, it's lottery protected this year. The next year, it's going to be 1 through 13. And if it doesn't parlay from 2022 and 2023, it turns into a pair of 2023 and 2024 second rounders, I believe. Yeah, it's not. But that's not going to happen. I mean, the Celtics and the uh, the Raptors, both of those protected picks from those teams, they're too far ahead in the standings. They would basically have to lose every game for the rest of the season for the Spurs to not get their picks this year. Yeah, but getting, you know, this, this is another thing that really uh, got the fan base going because they're like, the Spurs buying out, you know, Thad Young. Okay, we could see that happening if they weren't able to find a buyer, you know, because he does have a hefty salary in that he's almost owed, I think, a little under $14 million or $14 plus million. And it's hard to find a, a team that's going to want to go ahead and take on that type of salary, you know. And, okay, we went ahead and found Toronto, and they got some picks out of the deal. Not bad at all. But the Spurs fans took issue because they got Gorgon Dragic now, and he's owed quite a bit more than one Thad Young. And it's also rumored that the Spurs are going to go ahead and negotiate a buyout with one Gorgon Dragic. But the problem with that is you can't really put a price tag on picks. You know, I think the Spurs are valuing the picks more than they are just the straight-out buyout because they're looking to rebuild for their future. I mean, what are your thoughts, Noah? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, buying Gorgon Dragic out doesn't matter. He's a guy who probably wasn't going to play that much anyways. It's not that he's not good. He's a former all-star, former all-NBA third-team guy, but he's not that guy anymore. You know, he was in the, the Toronto Raptors organization for five games from the beginning of the season until November before he said, I'm walking away from the team. This is an undisclosed personal matter. And it seems like the undisclosed personal matter was he didn't play. He want to play for a team that wasn't very good. You know, obviously the Raptors were better than everybody expected, but he wanted a bigger role. San Antonio cannot offer him a bigger role, and it doesn't make sense for them to offer him a bigger role. You've got a, plenty of young players on this team that you want to figure out who they are, what they can do. You know, you've got DeJounte Murray cooking right now. You want to see what Trey Jones is capable of, what Josh Primo is capable of. You don't need any more vets. So buying him out, letting him go where he needs to go, that's perfect because you got to pick. And yes, the picks from Boston and Toronto, you know, they're probably going to end up being, you know, the 20th pick or the 22nd pick or the 21st and 24th pick. Doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is when you're a team like the Spurs and you're rebuilding, getting that many shots within the first round, maybe something hits. And even if you don't end up keeping all those picks, you are more than capable 
of packaging those picks together, moving up in the draft. Say you land at the seventh pick, maybe you can move up to the fifth pick. Maybe you move up to the fourth pick. Maybe you find your guy by being able to package all these picks. For a team like San Antonio that's rebuilding, this is huge. Who cares about the buyout? You know, who care, really cares about, um, you know, anything that has to do with whether Goran Dragic could help them win more games? Who cares? What matters right now is they're rebuilding and they're taking steps to expedite that rebuild. So that's all that matters for, that should matter at least for Spurs fans. Yeah, you know, but I think Spurs fans are just wanting to see immediate results. And and unfortunately for the, the fan base, the Spurs are playing the long game. They're They're looking to rebuild for the future. And that's why they're, uh, are highly coveting picks at this juncture. You know, going ahead and trying to trade away the future of the team for a win-now mentality really isn't cohesive with the Spurs' way. You know, they don't really do things like that. They're going to go ahead and at this point they signal a clear direction, which is one thing that the fans had been fuming about. There's no direction of this team. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go look to the draft? Are they going to make a trade? They're going to go on full youth movement and tank? I think you have your direction now. And that is they're going to go ahead and start looking to to build uh, with, you know, going in, getting picks from the draft and potentially, as you state, stated, maybe even packaging some of these picks and seeing if they can move up in the draft. If they actually believe that there is a player that can change the, the dynamic or direction of the franchise for the team and make them a lot better. So there's a lot of things to be excited about. It's not going to be immediate results like Spurs fans are hoping for. But again, we're, the Spurs are playing the long games. It's a, it's a chess. They're playing chess right now. So you have to be patient. And in a couple of seasons, let's see where this team is is going. You know, let's see how good they've gotten because they have a lot of young um, pieces, you know, a lot of young a- athletic pieces that they can go ahead and maybe they pan out. Maybe they don't. But again, you have to be patient and see what's going to happen. Verdict's still out on Wieskamp. I mean, he's still going to spend a lot of time over in the Austin G League. You know, uh, Devontae Kaycock, same thing. You know, he's going to spend some time in the G League. But you like you know, the trajectory that Josh Primo is on right now. I think he's ahead of the curve. He still has a lot to learn, you know. But the pieces that he has right now, you can see that he's going to be a very good player, a solid player, hopefully, and, and learn to be a little bit more consistent and sometimes not make some, you know, boneheaded mistakes and turnovers. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing you get with the kid. He's very young, but you got to be patient. He's going to get better. And let's see how he looks in year two. Right, Noah? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I like Josh Primo a lot. I know that people have been wanting him to play since the start of the season. Like, you know, you, you took him 12th, you know, he should be playing from day one, but I don't know if it's, uh, it's, if it's maybe um, that instant gratification that people want, or maybe they're just not aware of how the NBA has changed over the years. But, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when they picked a guy in the first round, that guy was 22, 23, 21, and he was young. They picked him and he's 18. You know, guys are going 18, 19 in the draft. They're, they're no longer those 21, 22, 23-year-old guys. So if you, if you take a guy who's that young, who spent most of the year in his only college season, which, by the way, he had reclassified from a junior to a senior in high school to be able to play at Alabama for one year. So he was basically 17 for a good portion of his only college season. And he only played off ball. And you want this guy to be special. You want him to be able to create for himself, create for others, knock down these shots. And look, he's going to need time. So all that time he spent in the G League, it wasn't wasted. It's not like Derek White being here or Lonnie Walker getting minutes or really anything like that was stopping him from, you know, all of a sudden being good. Because the fact of the matter is Josh Primo is very talented. He's looked good in the G League and spurts, but 
if you take a look at his numbers, it's not like he's that ahead curve or he's like blowing anyone out of the water he's played 28 games for the spurs and he shot 38 percent from the field 34 percent from three those aren't good numbers and that's fine he doesn't need to be good today but what would be nice now is that we go okay you know he's in the lineup he's getting minutes he's getting that experience and that's what's important you know because i think some people really again they looked at this like oh man we wasted all this time he could have been playing well you know what that g league time was really valuable he got the on-ball reps he got to run pick and rolls he got to make mistakes without it hurting the spurs or you know, taking away his confidence or anything like that. And now he's had all that time and experience under his belt, and he's going to be able to transition to the NBA in a more clean way than maybe you just throwing him into the fire from the beginning. So I'm excited to see what Josh does. I don't know what he's going to look like for the rest of the season, but these last couple of games, he's been eating into Lonnie Walker's minutes. And, you know, Lonnie had a good game last game. But for the most part, Primo's been the guy who's looked better in these last four matchups for the Spurs. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And, and speaking of Lonnie Walker, let's go ahead and keep with that theme and move forward here and talk about Lonnie. And, and the thing with Lonnie, is it time for the San Antonio Spurs to kind of part ways with Lonnie at the end of the season? I know that a lot of Spurs fans were really high on Lonnie, and we saw some little flashes here and here, here and there of what maybe he could become. But it just seems like here with San Antonio, it's never kind of panned out. You know, for whatever reason, he hasn't put the things together. Uh, he hasn't been that consistent player that not only Spurs fans, but it, it looks like the team has has wanted out of him. At, at this juncture, too, there wasn't a lot of interest in him in the trade market. So I think the writing's on the wall with the advent of Primo, Primo coming up and, you know, starting <laughs> to show you some things. Maybe he's expendable and you kind of let him walk at the end of the season and, you know, trade the go ahead and, and test the, the free agency market and see if a team is interested in, you know, acquiring him. You have nothing to lose at this point. It's not costing you any money. In fact, you're going to get some cap space. You're going to free up some cap space if you go ahead and let him walk. I mean, what are your thoughts on Lonnie? Yeah, I said it on my, my podcast. I've said it in Twitter spaces. I've said it to people who talk to me about the Spurs in my DMs or in person. And it's like, look, if I'm the Spurs front office, I've seen everything that I could possibly want to see from Lonnie. I don't need to see anything else. I've seen everything I need to see. It's been four years. You know, granted, the first year he was in the G League a lot. He didn't get a lot of opportunity. The second year, sporadic, you know, minutes, wasn't always playing with the, with the team. He was sometimes sitting on the bench. Sometimes he had a bigger role. And last season, he finally got a taste of regular minutes, but it wasn't a consistent role. You know, he had to be the fourth option or the fifth option in the starting lineup. Sometimes he was the second or third option off the bench after Patty Mills and Rudy Gay. But there's no excuses this year. It's the fourth year he spent all summer. Granted, every player does this. I'm not singling out Lonnie Walker, but he spent a lot of the summer posting on Instagram, posting on Twitter, posting on social media. You know, this is my year. You know, I, I've been working. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. He was showing us all his workout videos, and he comes back, and in a contract year, after they've drafted Devin Vassell and Josh Primo in back-to-back -back lotteries, he's come back, and he's laid an egg. It's been the worst shooting season of his career. He's made some minor improvements on the, on the defensive end, but... Let's be honest. I mean, they, they can't keep everybody. We've said that many times before, Joe. They can't keep every single guard on this team. And if you're the San Antonio Spurs, Devin Vassell is younger. Josh Primo is younger. They've shown a capability to maybe do more than he has up to this point. There's no reason to keep him around. And I love Lonnie. He's a great guy. We know that he, what he does for the community. We know that he was a fan favorite for a long time. But look, with NBA players, and this isn't just you know with fans and an organization. This is really just... Uh, uh, pervasive uh, pervasive rather across NBA fandom there's going to be a flavor of the month Lonnie Walker had his flavor of the month he was the flavor of the month for a little bit 
And it's nobody wants that anymore. They don't want to see that flavor anymore. They're done. They've moved on. You know, Josh Primo's the flavor of the month. Devin Vassell's the flavor of the month. So I hate to say it, but there's no reason to keep Lonnie Walker around, especially if you can get more minutes for other guards on this team that are younger with more potential, and you can open up cap space because that's what the Spurs should be looking to do. So love Lonnie, but man, he's got to go. Like, I think he really has to go at the end of this season. Yeah, you know, the thing with Lonnie is I think that the Spurs, they should have played him in a different uh, role. You know, and, and one of the roles I thought that they could have gone with him is he could have kind of maybe flourished into a three and D kind of player, but he lacks the size. He can't really shoot the three ball that well. He's very inconsistent. He can play defense here and there. He's gotten a little bit better, but he hasn't become that elite defender. You know, so those those particular tools of his arsenal never really materialized, you know. And then again, you're just looking at him for what he is. I mean He's six foot four, he's 204 pounds, and he's a shooting guard, you know? And the thing is, he's just not consistent, you know? And, and you can't have that if you're a shooting guard. You're out there on the court to shoot the ball, and you have to make it <laughs> at least at a higher percentage than what he's doing right now. So I'm, I'm in a total agreement with you. I think the writing's on the wall. Unfortunately, I, I do think he's a great uh, human being. You know, he's great for the city of San Antonio. He loves the community. He goes out there and helps. But it's just time to part ways. I mean, let's let's be honest. At the end of the day, the NBA is a business. And if one of the pieces isn't working out for you, you just got to cut your losses and move on and look to see what you do have right now. And I think the Spurs are moving in the right direction by doing this. You know, it's unfortunate that it is part of the business. It is what it is on that end. So wish Lonnie nothing but the the best. I'd be surprised if the Spurs do wind up uh, keeping him on. I mean, if if they do that, that means that he's going to have to take a heavy discount, you know, and he's not going to be uh, offered uh, a really lengthy high dollar contract, you know. So let's see what happens in the offseason. Um, one of the things, too, that I wanted to go ahead and talk about here <clears throat> is the magic number for Coach Pop. You know, we're getting closer and closer to him yeah. finally getting the accolade <laughs> of the most winningest coach in NBA history. I know it doesn't mean a hell of a lot to Coach Pop. He just wants to see the team do better, grow, and win, you know? We're three, we're three wins away from that happening. I know this is going to mean something as far as his legacy overall to the actual game of basketball. He's going to be one of these coaches that you can't overlook, and you're going to have to look at him and say he has the numbers, he has the championships, He's going to be looked at as one of the best coaches in NBA history. I think that really solidifies his legacy. You know, at one day he might be enshrined into the NBA Hall of Fame. No doubt in my mind, but it's going to have to be on his terms. And while he doesn't want to be, he doesn't even want to have that conversation while he's still a head coach. That brings another question, too, that I want to go ahead and present to you. How long do you think he's going to continue to coach? Um, because we see that Becky Hammond's already going to go ahead and become a, the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. So to me, that kind of signals that he still might, you know, want to be here for a couple more seasons. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, and we've seen reports throughout the season that he's been reinvigorated by this young group. It's a new challenge. It's new players to work with. He likes mentoring them. He likes seeing them grow every single day into better and better and better players. And to me, exactly what you said is that Becky Hammond, she seemed like the heir apparent to Greg Popovich, especially after Will Hardy is gone and Ime Udoka is gone and Mike Budenholzer is gone. And she's the longest tenured assistant coach. She's the lead assistant on his bench. 
And it felt like she's been interviewing for head coaching jobs with the Blazers, with the Bucks. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of left field, I don't know if anybody was expecting it, she not only becomes the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces, but she's their general manager. That's a long-term commitment. So that tells me maybe she heard something and she went, you know, I've been waiting for my time to be a head coach. Nobody in the NBA is giving it to me. I thought I was going to get it in San Antonio, but I think Pop wants to stay and I respect that. And so I got to look elsewhere. And so it feels like Pop is going to be here. Maybe another year, two years, who knows? But it definitely feels like He's not calling it quits after this season. So who knows how long he's really going to be here. But just with all the reports, with the other sort of context clues that we've got going around the organization, it feels like he's going to be here for at least a couple of more years. Yeah, if I'd had to guess, uh, I think the trajectory for him is, I think he wants to stay here for maybe anywhere between two to three seasons. He kind of want to leave the team in a good I guess, good hands, you know, saying, okay, this team is kind of putting some things together. It looks like they're going to be competitive and they're going to be consistent. I'm going to go ahead and hand the reins over to the next, you know, generation of head coach for the San Antonio Spurs and kind of bow out at that point. It doesn't really matter what the record is. He's just going to go ahead and say, it's my time to kind of go off and, and leave the, the team in good hands. But I mean, he is getting up there in, in age. And the thing is, I don't ever want to see him go. You know, I kind of like seeing <laughs> Coach Pop there on the sidelines. He's a character. But I mean, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. But generally speaking, I think two to three seasons is a good timetable to kind of look at, you know, and just appreciate every single game you see him, you know, when you see him out there on the court, because you never know when it could be his last. But moving on here to the next uh, subject that we're going to talk about as we start winding things down here is I wanted to talk about Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson has evolved his game quite a bit. Even in the beginning of the season, um, you still saw that he was still putting his head down, getting that tunnel vision and just trying to bulldoze his way to the to the rim. You know, it didn't matter who was in front of him. He, they were drawing charges on the guy. He would get in trouble, you know, and try to make these, you know, shots that were just not going to go in. I mean, they were just too, the, the difficulty there was just too high. It wasn't going to go in or he would lose control of the ball, turn it over. It seems now like he's turning, starting to learn some things and put things together from his tenure over with the Olympic team, you know, that experience that he learned there. And not only that, but the shooting has gotten a lot better for one Keldon Johnson as well. You know, I'm going to look at a, a tweet here that I saw from Jess, Jesse Pitsley on Twitter and you can follow him at Jess, J-E-S-S-E, Pitsley. Um, and he put, you know, Keldon Johnson's uh, spot up, uh, you know, shooting and everything has kind of gone up. He even put like a, a shot display up here. And it's showing that, you know, he's displaying amazing uh, transformation in his game, you know, from just the, the spot up shooting. And in particular, he's gone, done a lot better at that corner three. It seems like that's his favorite spot on the floor. And so much so that he's been the top shooter in the league when it comes from shooting the corner three, you know? So him being able to shoot the three, making better decisions, um, he's looked a lot better. And I'd have to say he's getting my vote in particular for possibly most improved player with the Spurs, seeing where he started in the beginning of the season to see where he is right now. He's one of those guys who's made a great transformation. Uh, what can, can you tell us about Keldon and the evolution of his game this season? Yeah, we can talk about Keldon. I, I think I'm probably not going to agree with that assessment. I think he's pretty much the same guy he was last year. He can shoot the three ball a lot better. Uh, but I think when we talk about his three-point shooting, 
and I, I know I've, I keep saying we've talked about this on my podcast because we have talked about it on my podcast before. You know, Sean Elliott and Bill Land and even, um, you know, Dan Weiss, they, they have this tendency to say, you know, he's the second best three-point shooter or the third best three-point shooter in the NBA. And every time I listen to that, I think, well, no, that, that's not true. That's, he's the second most accurate three-point shooter or third most accurate three-point shooter in the NBA. But that leaves off so much important context because you're going to tell me that he's a better three-point shooter than Trey Young or Steph Curry or a number of other all-stars, like his shot versatility can't match what they do. And I know we've talked about it before, but I'll remind everybody, 95% of his three-pointers this season have come off of catch-and-shoot stationary shots. That means he's catching the ball, he's not doing it off the dribble, he's not running off screens, he's not shooting off movement, he is standing still. And if anybody's ever shot a basketball, that's the easiest way to shoot the basketball. So for him, that is huge. Going from a guy who shot, I believe it was 34, 33% last year, even on standstill shots. That wasn't good. That was way below league average to be going to a guy who's shooting 43% from three on standstill attempts. That's insane. That sort of growth, that doesn't happen in a single year. So shout out to Chip England for helping him with that. But for him to become more valuable, he's going to have to diversify his shot utility cannot just be someone who just catches the three ball. Because if we're going to say, you know, Keldon Johnson, second, third, well, then we also have to say that P.J. Tucker is the best three-point shooter in the NBA. You know, he's shooting 47% from three. All he does is shoot from the corners. He doesn't move. He doesn't come off screens. He's not shooting off the dribble. And we know that's not true. So if we're not going to say that about P.J. Tucker, let's not say that about Keldon Johnson. He is an elite. And I don't, I mean it when I say elite standstill shooter, but he has a lot of work to do before he becomes a one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA because he just simply isn't there. As far as the rest of his game, I mean, you look at the shooting numbers, and I know that people probably, they'll roll their eyes a little bit when I say this, but I think you actually have to look at the numbers and see what Keldon Johnson is doing. For example, when I ask you this, Joe, like I'd ask you this genuinely. When you think of Keldon Johnson, you know, do you think he's one of the better finishers on the roster, like getting to the rim and finishing at the rim? Would you say that's a a truth? I'd have to say... In my in my my point of view, I would not think so. And, and the reason yeah. is because he tries really hard, and he his heart's in the right place. But if I look at over, the overall percentage of how many times he's actually going to convert on that, it's not going to be very high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's it's very low. There's only two guys on this roster who finish worse than he does at the rim: it's Josh Primo, who hasn't played most of the season, so it's a very small sample size. And Zach Collins, also a very small sample size. Keldon's finishing 57% of his shots at the rim. That's nearly seven percentage points lower than league average. That's not good. He hasn't been particularly good from floater range in the paint. He's not knocking down the mid-range jumper at a good rate either. It's below league average. So when you look at Keldon Johnson and we say, oh, well, you know, he's made all these improvements, I would argue no. I mean, he's still exactly where he was a year ago in terms of finishing around the rim, which isn't good. Still not a good mid-range shooter. He's not really shooting off the dribble. He's not really creating for his teammates. He still gets that tunnel vision on drives. But I think the three-pointer has helped diversify his game. You know, we've seen him in the last couple of games because I believe over the last four, he's averaging 22 points per game on 56, 48, something like really good shooting splits. He's been really good over four games, but I want more than four games. I can't, I can't look at four games and go, now that's that guy. You know, I think everybody remembers four games, six games. We were ready to say Derek White was that guy. 
you know, in the bubble, we said, hey, six games that, you know, Derek White's coming back next season. He's 25 and five. That's a borderline all-star. He's and then what happened? You know, he wasn't healthy. He didn't come back even when he was healthy. He wasn't the same player. So for me, I'm going to need a larger sample size from Keldon Johnson. I am absolutely willing to concede he is a better three-point shooter than he was a year ago. And that in and of itself is a huge progress for him. But he's still largely the same offensive player. And still, until he can begin to add some more dribble moves to his package, you know, finish better at the rim, make better decisions in terms of creating for his teammates, then I, I, for me... I just can't see Keldon Johnson contributing more than he is because let's be honest, the Spurs are bad this season, right? You know, they're the 14 games, 13 games under 500. You know, if Keldon Johnson is on a championship team, is a championship team going to let him take the second most shots on the roster? Is he going to score the second most points per night? I would probably say no. Now he, he could get there. He could get there and that's the hope. And so for me, you know, it's not there yet, but the hope is he could get there because he has shown flashes over these last couple of games. He has been better this season overall, but he still has a lot of work to do. So I'm holding out hope for Keldon Johnson, but I just, I love to throw, I like to just be cautious because I think we do this too much as a fan base that every guy who gets a little hot for maybe half a season, a quarter of a season, we go, that's that guy. You know, we did it with Lonnie. We did it with Derek. We've done it with several other guys who've come through here. And I think let's just, let him play basketball. You know, he was the 29th overall pick of his draft. He does not need to be a superstar to be successful. In fact, if he never got better than he is today, which is not going to happen, he is going to get better. But if he never did, by some crazy coincidence, he never got better than he was today, man, he might be one of the best 29th overall picks in NBA history. So I just think it's about putting things in perspective and being happy with what we've seen from a guy who look, he's outperformed his draft slot. So kudos to Keldon. And let's hope he continues to open up his game because he is very young. Yeah, that's that's a key uh, phrase that you said right there. Very young. So he's still a player that you can essentially go ahead and and build a team around. You know, you can build a team around maybe Keldon. You can go ahead and look at what you have in DeJounte because he's been really having a stellar season this year. You know, so you have some pieces that you can go ahead and pair with some really elite talent here and and maybe make a go of things. And I think that's the thing that Spurs fans have to be wary of. You know, we, we don't have a lot of dynamic shooters who are going to be very consistent from night to night to night because the record is indicative of that. The Spurs not being very good, not being very consistent. While we might have a standout here and there, like, you know, we see DeJounte having a stellar season and almost a triple-double every other night. He has <laughs> to play at that high level just to help this team even be competitive, you know, which shows that we just don't have those pieces right now. Not right now, but who's to say that there's not going to be some development here? Again, you have to go ahead and, and look at long term and see what's going to happen two to three seasons down the line, you know. So I'm all for that growth, but I know it's painful. You know, a lot of these Spurs fans that get really upset, I think, haven't been around for the rebuilding kind of phase, you know, the reloading kind of phase. And I think the Spurs have been very... um careful not to say rebuilt you know they they're careful not to say that we're reloading or they're retooling the team they don't really come out and say rebuilt because then that signals something very different you know but i do like the growth and see and, and i like what i'm seeing out of the team i kind of agree with you with keldon he still needs to kind of get better in, in certain aspects of his game you know especially that mid-range jumper that could actually open up his game quite a bit for him you know so you're not having to just go out beyond the arc and be that three to three, you know, 
that spot up three point shooter. You know, you can do a little bit more and help the team, especially when when teams are trying to go ahead and put the clamps on one DeJounte Murray. You know, he's going to have to pass the ball to somebody. And if you're, you know, 10 to 15 feet out, you want to be counted on to go ahead and knock down that mid range jumper. We can't really say that with a, you know, 100% confidence that Keldon Johnson is going to be that guy to be able to help out there on the court. You know, he might make a boneheaded decision, as you said, and get that tunnel vision and put his head down and try to go and get the foul, you know, draw the foul. And unfortunately, he's being too aggressive and he'll draw the charge instead. And easily that's a turnover going the other way when you're down by one point. And now if it's going the other way and the other team hits a three, you're down by four. You know, with time expiring, that's not a very good look on the San Antonio Spurs part. And I think we see the team do a lot of these things in the waning moments of the fourth quarter. And that's why they lose a lot of games by a couple of points, you know, five points, four points, six points. You know, that's your difference in the game is decision making. So, again, you know, be patient here and we'll see what's going to happen. But do you have any updates as we bring the show to a close here as far as injury updates for the San Antonio Spurs game versus the, the Chicago Bulls tonight at seven? Yeah, before that Pelicans game, some of the reporters from the San Antonio Express News asked Pop, you know, is Richardson going to be available? You know, when is uh, Romeo Langford going to be available? And Pop said that he was that they were going to meet him, meet the team in Chicago and that they should be available to play. So I don't know if they're going to play tonight, but it feels like the Spurs have been shorthanded and they've pulled off some really nice wins, even against doesn't matter if the teams are shorthanded or bad. They pulled out some nice wins regardless, but it would be nice to see, you know, how does Richardson fit in as far as Langford? There, there may just be too many mouths to feed, and he may just kind of get the boot here. Not literally. I mean, they're not going to cut him, but I just don't see him getting a lot of minutes. But it should be exciting to see what he can do against Chicago because, once again, you know, the Spurs can only control this their situation, and the Bulls are severely shorthanded. There's not going to be a Levine tonight. There's not going to be Caruso. There's not going to be any ball. There's not going to be Patrick Williams. This is a very shorthanded team. And so if you can get these guys getting on the same page, building some chemistry, building confidence and momentum, regardless of who's on the other side, you know, you can carry that over against good teams. So hopefully they can get those guys on the floor, see what they can do, because it feels like Josh Richardson should at the very least be part of the second unit. So I'm excited to see what they can do. And hopefully the Spurs can pick up another win. You know, this is this could be their first three game winning streak in who knows how long. So. We'll see what they can do because I know a lot of Spurs fans aren't ready to get that top pick. They want to see them sneak into the play-in or the playoffs. And if you want to see them do that, you know, this is the perfect time because they're about to have nine days off for the All-Star break after these next couple of games. And they're winnable games. Yeah, and we've also seen the decline of one uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I believe they're the ninth seed in the West right now. So if they continue to trend, go on the trend downward and the Spurs continue to win... You know, anything can happen. They could really, uh, really be flirting with that play-in game, which would excite a lot of Spurs fans. I would take that personally as overachieving, you know, if they were able to, in fact, make the play-in game, you know, because uh, I didn't even think they would be in the hunt for that, quite honestly, you know. So yeah. we're going to see what's going to happen here. <laughs> but the Spurs are trending up because in the latest NBA power rankings, the San Antonio Spurs have moved up a couple of slots. Uh, I believe last week they were at, Number 23, they moved up four slots to number 19 now. So they're starting to make some strides, you know. So let's go ahead and see. Maybe they can start putting some things together. The rodeo road trip is looking a little better now. Before the, the trades all happened, I, I, I had the Spurs winning two games, going two and six. Now with these trades, oh, maybe they can get closer to maybe three or four wins, you know. So they've already put two together. If they can put a third one together against the, the Bulls, that's just going to build confidence for this young team. And that's not a bad thing. 
You know, maybe they can go ahead and start playing better and putting some things together. But you can never fall into the trap of thinking, oh, teams that you should win against, they're going to just, you know, lay down and let you Roll walk over, over them. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem because you got OKC. Everybody looks at that game and they're like, oh, the Spurs should actually win that game. Don't be surprised. I mean, these teams can just turn it on on any given night and they can blow them out of the water. And that's the thing that I'm always afraid of. The teams that, oh, they should win against, those are trap games, you know. And in particular, you look at the Wizards game, you know, that's going to be coming up here too. And you look at OKC, for example. You 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 can't just go in there and say, oh, this is going to be an easy easy dub, an easy win. You got to play hard because these teams aren't going to just lay down and let you walk over them. So if the Spurs can get a win against the Bulls and maybe split this next two over here that they have coming up against the Thunder and the Wizards, that's going to look pretty good on the rodeo road trip for them. Uh, what did you have them going on the rodeo road trip? I had them at two and six. What was your prediction? I had them at three and five. I thought that they could beat the um, the first, uh, not the first team, because I had them losing against the Cavs, but I had them beating the Wizards. I had them beating the Hawks. And then I think I also had them beating the Thunder. I believe they play the Thunder on this road trip as well. Yeah. So I thought that those were their three guaranteed wins and the other ones might be tough. But again, injuries happen. Guys sit out and suddenly, you know, instead of going, you know, three and five or two and six, you could be looking at going five and three, six and two. And again, I mean, I, I hate being a bummer. I know that people want to see the Spurs make the play in or the playoff and that's exciting for fans. But man, if you find yourself in the plan and you lose in the plan and you don't get in the playoffs or even if you sneak into the playoffs, now you're looking at, you know, you have the 18th pick, the 25th pick and the 23rd pick. And what are you going to do with that? It's a lot harder to entice a team to, hey, give me the you know, fifth pick or the sixth pick when you're, you're offering them late first round picks. I mean, it's nice, but I think DeJounte needs help. And, and for me, you're not getting that in free agency. You're not, you're not getting a big fish in free agency because you never have. And if you're drafting 18th and 21st and, you know, 25th or whatever, you're not, you're probably not finding them that year either. And I, I know that DeJounte Murray is young you know, he's 25, going to be 26, but I don't want to see them waste DeJounte's prime by just surrounding him with role players because right now that's all the Spurs have is DeJounte Murray, who's a bona fide all-star and a bunch of role players. They don't need more role players. You know, they're let, they're they're buying out role players. They're going to buy out Goran Dragic. <laughs> Who knows how much Tomas Sadoransky is going to play. Josh Richardson is just a role player. We don't know how important he's going to be. Langford is hardly a role player. He doesn't really play at all for the for the Celtics, so it's like I don't I don't want to see any more role players in San Antonio. I want to see another star. And for a team that's consistently built through the draft over the years, you know, I'm not saying they need to lose games on purpose. That's ne you never want to do that. And I'm happy to see them every time they win. But sneaking into the play-in for me is like the worst possible <laughs> scenario for them. But I understand the excitement from from fans. I get yeah. it. I understand it. That would be overachieving, you know, at that point. I mean, I, really, I think they are on the trajectory to probably win about maybe 26, 28 games. Not a bad deal, you know, but you, you kind of want to get a higher pick. I mean, this year's NBA draft, I mean, if you really want a franchise-changing player, they're going to be in the upper maybe one to five range, you know, either picks yeah. one through five. If you fall out of that, then again, you're you're in that gambling, you know, uh, mentality where we'll see what happens. You know, and if the Spurs want to change their fortunes, like you said, right now they just have a bunch of role players. You're going to have to make a move to move up into the draft if you feel that there's somebody there that you absolutely must 
have and you got to be aggressive. And unfortunately, with all the picks they have, it's more expensive now to move up in the draft. That's just the nature of the beast, you know. Um, and I agree with you, you know, with DeJounte being the bonafide all-star, we just have a lot of role players. And the thing is, if you want to be competitive, you need two stars. If you want to go and, and, and chase superstars, they can't just superstars. be an all-star. They got to be good. They got to yeah. be top tier players. Yeah, they have to be really good. You know, you have to have another person who's going to be in the caliber of playing at a high level like DeJounte, you know. And if you want to chase a championship, you need three, you know. So right now we got one. And we're not very competitive. We're not very consistent. Well, the team is, and I shouldn't say we, but the team as a whole isn't very <laughs> consistent because I'm not out there playing on the court. But we see what's happening here. So, again, you know, hey, hopefully they can figure some things out. And if they lose and they tank softly, Noah, I'm fine with that. You know, but as long as they're remaining competitive, you don't have to outright tank, but you can tank softly but remain competitive, you know. So and, Yeah, and the word sounds like kind of – counterintuitive but organically tanking is a thing and it's kind of what the spurs were doing for this you know first half or if you want to call it three-fifths of the season you know every night they were coming out there they're competitive they're losing a lot of close games they had played more close games in the nba than any other team but just they happen to lose most of them right and so you know you're you're putting a at least a halfway decent product out there you can see Dejounte's trying and keldon and Derek and lonnie and all these guys are trying they're just not winning which is fine because they've got a good foundation. And then you add a good player to that, you may have something special in a few years. So I think, you know, losing Derek and all those guys, they're still as maybe a little bit as good or maybe a little bit worse than they were before. And if they can just kind of continue that trajectory where, you know, we're trying our best, we're, we're putting a good product out there, but we're losing every once in a while. I don't think that's the worst thing. But again, I understand fans with the playoffs, you want the plan, but that's not all you want. You want the ring. And if you want to see a ring in San Antonio, you want that Larry O'Brien trophy in San Antonio, then I think you got to be patient. It's not all about instant gratification. Yeah, we don't want to be playing for play-in victories. At the, the, the end of the day, I think fans really want to see them playing for championships, going far into the playoffs, not just inking in, you know, or limping into the play playoffs per se. So if that's what you guys want, yeah, you're going to have to be a little bit more patient here. And hopefully... They can put some things together where they can get some bonafide superstars to help DeJounte. Again, I'm, I agree with you. You don't want DeJounte just to be wasted in his prime. You know, that would be something that you don't want to see. And look at what happened with Derek White. He was already getting up there in age 27. He still has a lot of game left in him. It just wasn't a good fit for San Antonio. You don't want to have to say the same thing for DeJounte. You want to help the guy. You know, you already have a really solid player in DeJounte. Go get him some help. You know, and I see the argument for that as well, especially on Spurs Twitter. And they get into a lot of heated discussions there. <laughs> but it's not as bad as, as Spurs Facebook. Face, Spurs Facebook is the nexus of evil. So stay away from that place. <laughs> yeah, that place is scary. <laughs> yeah. But as we bring the show to a close here, Noah, where can everybody follow you on social media and check out all the great articles you got coming out? Yeah, first off, thank you so much, Joe, for having me, man. I, I always really enjoy this, just talking Spurs basketball with you. But fans can find me at no, uh, Noah Magaro on Twitter. That's N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. You can find my words at Pounding the Rock. I'm doing, you know, breaking news, analysis, recaps, previews, all that good stuff over there. 
You can find my podcast, Alamo City Limits, with Damian Bartonek. We just released an episode on what the you know trade deadline meant for the Spurs, so I'm glad I got to talk about this again with you, Joe. And then lastly, you can also find me on YouTube. You know, I do some stuff there from time to time. It's just my name, Noel McGarrow George, and you can find me at At The Line Podcast. We hardly ever record, but when we do, it's a blast. So you can find me at all those places, and you can occasionally find me on Two Shots Podcast, too, as a guest. Always enjoy being here with you, Joe, so thank you so much. Yeah, and also check out Noah when he does his Twitter spaces. Very informative, great discussions <laughs> that go on there, really. So if you really want to know what's happening in the world of, you know, San Antonio Spurs basketball, and, you know, as far as, like, the topics that are, are hot right now, especially check out Noah's Twitter spaces. They're really good, you know, and <laughs> you get a lot of Spurs fans that go in there. So I was like, man, I think on one of them, I was just, you know, kind of a fly on the wall listening to all you guys. You had like 300 people in there. I was like, whoa. Yeah, for the trade deadline, yeah. we had 374 people hop in there. We had another 30 people who actually spoke. Most of the people are, you know, spectators, but man, I love talking to Spurs fans. You want to come up there, you want to be treated respectfully. No one's going to yell at you or tell you you're <laughs> stupid. We're going to have genuine conversations and talk about news and topics and go back and forth. That's the place to be. I mean, yeah. I, I absolutely love talking to people on there. So yeah, if you want to join in there, thank you, Joe, because I didn't even think about that. But yeah, would love to have more people in the Spurs spaces we do on Twitter. Yeah, Spurs, Spurs Twitter spaces is the place to be. So make sure you go and join, join Noah when he goes ahead and, and announces on Twitter when he's going to go ahead and have another Twitter space. Very great discussions that I enjoy when I'm there, just being the fly on the wall, because sometimes I'm only <laughs> able to join for 10, 15 minutes, and then I got to bounce, but I enjoy the time that I'm there. So make sure you go and follow Noah. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Two Shots Podcast, all spelled out, T-W-O, Two Shots Podcast. And also make sure you go and check out Project Spurs. Yes, I'm a digital content creator, and I help everybody out there in Project Spurs as well, but they deliver some great content. So make sure you go ahead and check out ProjectSpurs.com for all your San Antonio Spurs uh, latest news, rumors, and 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 from time to time we do something called the Spurs Rewind. So we go ahead and cover the weekend Spurs. So that's going to actually be coming up later on this week on Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. So for Noah Magaro, George, I'm Joe Garcia. Thank you for listening and for watching another episode of the Two Shots Podcast. And like we always say, spread the love, stop the hate, be kind. We're out. Peace. <laughs>